All right. Well, thank the Lord. We uh, there was a cross and there was an open grave where Jesus did not stay dead, but he conquered uh, conquered death once and for all there at the cross. And uh, as the um, as he is God and as he has conquered death, he is the one who's authorized to give anyone eternal life. And um, he is uh, God has been so gracious that he says that anyone who's willing to admit they are a sinner, admit that their sin deserves eternal punishment, and accept that Jesus is the only way that sin can be forgiven, um, the Lord says that is the one that and that is the one who He will give eternal life to. So um, thank the Lord for the cross and for the wonderful things uh, that He has done at the cross. And uh, it's because of the cross. Uh, that we give the gospel, and it's because of the cross uh, that we give the light of uh, of the Lord um, to other people that are around us. And so, let's go ahead to the book of Matthew, chapter nine tonight. Okay, Matthew chapter nine. Hope you had uh, a good day, and uh, glad that you've made it. Um, Gordon's, thank you so much for being here. It is great to see you. Although, sorry, it's no offense. I just don't remember you from uh, from that long ago. Um, but uh, I appreciate uh, you all being here. And, um, as well as, and tell me your name, is it Kate, Kate, Kayla, Kayla, I didn't get to meet you yet, but uh, I'm glad that you're here. Of course, William, I'm uh, glad that you're here as well. And, uh, the rest of you, uh, I don't know, normal folk or, uh, uh, the, uh, the regulars, good to see you as well. Um, uh, glad that you're here. Thanks for, um, doing all that you can to be here. I know it's, uh, it can be a sacrifice, uh, to come on a Tuesday night. Uh, but, uh, the Lord, I think will bless you. Um, when you take a, make a sacrifice on your own um, for uh, some extra preaching of God's Word. You know, uh, sometimes, I guess we call it a sacrifice, and I think that's okay. As Romans 12 says, uh, that our bodies ought to be offered as a living sacrifice, but goodness, um, living for God with everything we've got uh, should just be the, the minimum normal. Living for God with everything we've got, because after all, He gave everything for us, and He's given us eternal life. And uh, so, therefore, he deserves um, he deserves everything that we can give him. So we're here in uh, Matthew chapter nine, and uh, one of the um, one of the neat things, Matthew chapter nine. My goodness, um, there are all kinds. You want to read about uh, the miracles? You want to read about miracles of Jesus? There's lots of chapters you could go to. Uh, Matthew chapter nine is full of them, and uh, Jesus is doing all kinds of miracles, such as uh, healing the man who was sick uh, from the palsy, uh, the woman who had the issue of blood for 12 years. She was healed here in this passage. Uh, in Matthew chapter 9, he heals a ruler's daughter. Or actually, well, he raised her from the dead. You know, pr pretty impressive miracle of Jesus. Um, healed two blind men. Uh, he cast out a devil that made uh, that made a man dumb. And in verse number 35 of Matthew chapter 9, it says that Jesus went about all the cities and the villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom. It says, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. It's almost like the gospel writer Matthew said, oh goodness, so we watched Jesus heal the man who had the palsy. Then we watched him heal that woman who had the issue of blood. Then we were watching him, and he's, he's raising a daughter, a girl from the dead. Then we watched him do this, and watched him do this, and verse 35 you know, Jesus was just kind of doing a whole bunch of miracles all over the place and uh, and just kind of condenses it down. I like how the uh, the Apostle John said, said, you know, if we really tried to write down all the things that Jesus did and all that you could glean from him, he said, you know, I don't think the very earth itself could contain all that was there. But so Jesus is out. And of course, he's preaching and teaching in the synagogues as well, preaching the gospel, as it says there. Um, but uh, but the people really were especially here flocking to him and uh, noticing him because of these miracles. Well, folks, I mean, I mean, 
give him a little bit of credit. I mean, if uh, if someone was around here in Granville, uh, you know, uh, raising people from the dead, you'd probably take note too and just want to know what you know what's kind of going on. And um, uh, but the people were really gathering around Jesus because of the miracles. And the Bible says in verse number thirty-six that when Jesus saw the multitudes, all these big crowds of people that had gathered and were watching him do these miracles, it says he was moved with compassion on them, he says, because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Because Jesus realized something. Those, um, those people needed something more than miracle healings. You know, oftentimes, are not people satisfied? Are not people um, settled with if they can just get something something good from Jesus? That Jesus can just kind of improve their life a little bit. Plenty of people are satisfied. And Jesus realized that the people gathering around it, the multitudes, they needed more than just miracle healings. They needed the spiritual healing that we heard about Sunday morning. They needed the salvation that Jesus could bring them. And so it says in verse 36 that Jesus was moved with Compassion. The idea there when it says he was moved with compassion, that's the idea. It's actually the same uh, the same word, the same verb that's used in um, in uh, Luke chapter, I think it's Luke chapter 10, where um, whichever chapter it is, uh, where the Good Samaritan, we read about the Good Samaritan, and it said that the Samaritan, when he saw uh, this Jew on the side of the road, had been beaten by thieves and was dying on the side of the road, it says he was moved with compassion. You know, if you saw a person who was half dead, uh, maybe maybe hyperventilating over on the side of the road, clearly bleeding, clearly beaten up, maybe stripped of his clothes, it wouldn't matter what race he or she was. It wouldn't matter whether it was a man or a woman. It wouldn't matter uh, if you knew them or not. If you saw someone in that condition, you would have pity. And call 911, try to get the, you know, get, get the body warm. And you're like, oh, he, she's still alive. What can we do for him? You'd have some compassion. You'd pity someone in that kind of a state. It's the same word here where Jesus uh, Jesus says he had pity. He had compassion, bowels that moved because he saw the people as sheep that were scattered abroad and had no shepherd. And uh, one of the things that um, Jesus then says as he gathers uh, here with the crowd, he turns to his disciples and he says to them two verses that are probably very familiar, at least to maybe some of you, some of you if you've done, uh, if you've uh, read your Bibles uh, some, and also these are verses that show up very commonly in, uh, in, missions, in missions conferences and such. And uh, it's Jesus said to his disciples in verse 37, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. Now, uh, one of the things, and it's not wrong to find this in the passage, is one of the main thrusts of the passage is Jesus saying simply, we need to pray that more people will go out into the into the fields and will go out and uh, you know and see people one to the Lord and, and such. And that is true. But I want us to I want us to do something tonight. I want us to settle for just a little bit on just a one single concept within those verses, because three times Jesus uses a very specific word. He says in verse number 37, the harvest truly is plenteous. Pray therefore the Lord of the harvest that he'll send forth laborers into his harvest. The reason why, and Jesus uses the word harvest three times. The reason why I want us to look at this tonight is because of this this reality. Do we not sometimes look out at humanity and think, 
Well, there's no hope. Do we not do that sometimes? Even though we know in the back of our minds, oh, Jesus is the only hope. We know that, and if we were around a bunch of Christians, we'd use that phrase so we look spiritual. But when we're quiet and by ourselves, we look around sometimes at people and we think, there is no hope. We're just going to crash. You look around, and we could talk about national sins, but uh, you know, we look at uh, maybe family members, you look at friends, you look at others, and, and you just think, wow, is there really any hope? that people can be saved? Are people really ever going to turn to the Lord? Jesus says, listen, I want you to see, uh, I want you to see three things tonight, three, three truths that I hope would excite you that there is hope going out witnessing and that uh, to give you hope of what God can do. First of all, I want you to see this, the opportunity of the harvest. So verse 37 says, the harvest Truly is plenteous. Let's understand this. What is the, could we say, the who of the harvest? Who is uh, this harvest talking about? Well, if we're going to talk about harvest, there's kind of one or two ways we could look at it. Um, some people, when they say harvest, they're just referring to a time period of, um, you know, you've got uh, the planting time, you've got the harvest time. Um, so, so sometimes uh, we just use the word harvest to refer to the whole time period around uh, when we would be reaping. But also sometimes we use the word harvest to refer to the actual crop. No? Well, I, I need to bring in the harvest. I need to, uh, uh, I got to go out and get the harvest in. In other words, it's a harvest is simply a crop, listen, that is ready to reap. Harvest is crop, or crops, that are ready to reap. And you know what Jesus says? Jesus loves to give this kind of farming analogy when he describes bringing people to the Lord. Sometimes, and so when we use this uh, at times, we say, you know, sometimes all we're doing is we're sowing the seed. You know, the way a farmer would plant seed into the ground, you know, because before you can see someone saved, well, you got to plant some seed. you got to get them thinking about the gospel. And there's other times we say, you know, uh, well, there's other times we're watering. Maybe someone has already heard the gospel, but then we come along in life and we kind of add a little bit on. They get to hear more of the gospel. They don't get saved maybe that day, but we've at least added more to their knowledge of the gospel. But then, Lord willing, a time will come when unsaved people will get saved. And the reference, and uh, in keeping with the farming metaphor, we would call that the reaping time. And I'll tell you what, isn't that the time that we enjoy? The reaping time, the time when we actually get to see people get saved. That, that's the fun time. And if you've never gotten to lead someone to the Lord, um, one of the things you could do is pray about that. We'll get to that here in just a second. And uh, But uh, but the, the, there's so much, but the, the God gives us this hope, if I can put it that way. He says, the harvest, in other words, people who are ready to get saved. The crop of people who are ready to get saved. Now, if I was to just um, you know, ask you and, and say, now, okay, how many, you know, in, in your area, in our state, in uh, even in the United States in general, maybe worldwide, uh, would you say that there's a lot of people ready to get saved or not a whole lot of people who are probably ready to get saved? You know, if we just looked out at the world around us, if we just look out at our, uh, watch our TVs, and if we're watching our, our maybe friends and family members, we would probably be tempted to say, eh, there's not a whole lot of people ready to be saved. There's not a whole lot of harvest out there. You know what Jesus says? He says the opposite. He says the harvest is plenteous. To put it bluntly, he says, there's a lot of them. He, and, and, and can we put it this way? There are more people out there ready to get saved than we realize. Right. 
And Jesus says, the harvest, people ready to get saved, he says, there's a whole mess of them. There's a whole lot of them. And people whose hearts are prepared and their will is ready, but there is none to tell them how to get saved. And uh, Romans 10, 14 simply says, how should they call on him of whom they did not believe? How should they believe on him of whom they did not heard? How should they hear without a preacher? You say, well, that's right. We need more preachers. We do. Romans 10, 14 was written to church members. And he says, he says, how are they going to call on him? And the harvest is plenteous. There's plenty of people out there ready to get saved. But he says, how are they going to call on him? Uh, uh, call upon the name of someone of whom they have never ever heard. And so the hope, and so this harvest just gives us such a hope. I mean, Jesus even said over in Luke chapter 10, verse number two, he says, the harvest truly is great. Some may want to say, you know, oh, well, there's not a whole lot of people getting saved anymore. So what's the use of passing out tracts? So what's the use of inviting people to church? So what's the use of going door to door? Folks, Jesus said, you may not realize it, but there's a lot more people ready to get saved than you realize. If you've got a quick finger, turn over to John chapter 4. And we're going to look at one, one brief verse here. In John chapter 4, Jesus brings out a great truth. John chapter 4, uh, Jesus is again uh, addressing, uh, addressing people. And in John chapter 4, verse number 35, he's addressing his, uh, his disciples here. And he says to them, say not ye. So he says, don't ever say, oh, there are yet four months and then cometh harvest. Okay, why would Jesus say that? Because there was this phrase, you could call it like a, an idiom, we'd call it maybe a proverb, like a, a, like a, a common everyday, not like the book of Proverbs, but the book of Proverbs is inspired, but like an everyday, like a Chinese proverb. There was a, a little, you could say, Chinese proverb that was floating around uh, at that time, and it was this. They would say, are there not yet four months? Then come at the harvest, because generally speaking, between the sowing and the reaping time in the fields for the farmers, there was really a four-month waiting time where, you know, you could do some things, but you couldn't do a whole lot. You had to work really hard at the sowing time, and you had to work really hard at the reaping time, and there was this kind of this gap in the middle that, you know, you had to do some things, but it wasn't as intense as harvest time or sowing time. And so there started to be this phrase that would come up where people would say, basically, if they wanted to procrastinate, or they wanted to put off tomorrow what they should do today, they would say, oh, I don't think we need to rush on that. You know, four months till the harvest. And then they'd say, oh, well, I guess we should get started on that sometime. But I mean, I mean, there's no rush on it. You know, we can start next week. You know, oh, it's four months till harvest. You know what Jesus said? Stop using that little proverb. He said, say not ye, John 4, 35, but there are yet four months, then cometh harvest. Instead, Jesus says, behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes, look on the fields. He says, they are white, all ready to harvest. You know, when, uh, when, grain, when grain is ready to be reaped, it turns this whitish, yellowish color. And Jesus says, the fields out there are not just, they're not just out there. He says, they are ready to be reaped. And he tells these disciples that were just so narrow-sighted that uh, that were so narrow-sighted that hey, listen, there are people who 
are ready to get saved. Folks, God has fashioned his gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ. He has fashioned it to be ready to make an immediate impression on, on people. It doesn't mean that people instantly get saved the first time they hear the gospel. Some takes a long time for God will not force someone's will. But um, God has designed his gospel, Romans 1.16. The gospel, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ because it's the power of God unto salvation. So, folks, God has given us a hope-filled promise that even though our experience screams otherwise, God says there are a lot more people ready to get saved than you realize. In fact, John chapter 4, verse 35, where he tells his disciples, stop that proverb about, oh, four months of the harvest. You're just putting off. Uh, you're just putting off doing the Lord's work. He says, look on the fields. They're white already to harvest. Why would he say that? Because we're in John chapter 4. You know who Jesus has just finished talking with? The woman at the well. He's just finished having a conversation with a Samaritan woman, or with, with, uh, with or I'm sorry, with this woman, yeah, with this woman at the well. And as he's talking with her, you know, he begins to tell her, you know, that I am, uh, you know, that I am the Savior, I'm the Messiah, I'm the one to save people from their sins. And she is just overwhelmed, and she's right. Did you know, you know, any of those other Jewish guys would have thought, oh, you know, she does, she doesn't, she's not ready to get saved. She was. All it took was a short conversation with Jesus, and she was ready to be saved. And people, the whole town was ready to be saved. Do you know what happens right after this? She goes into town and says, guys, folks, people, the Messiah is here. And they said, really? Let's go see. And they all came out and the Bible tells us that many were saved that day. Who would have thought that a, Samarit a whole town of Samaritans were ready to get saved? Who would have thought that a single woman was ready to get saved? What if, um, you know, what if Jesus had said, I'm too busy healing people. Good things. What if he had said, I'm too busy? What if he had said, I'm too tired? What if he had said, well, I'm just discouraged because of the rejection of so many people. And many people had rejected him, uh, you know, as, as Savior. What if he had said those kinds of things, but Jesus did not. He saw the opportunity of the harvest and a great many people were saved that day in John chapter 4. But here's number two. So there's an opportunity of the harvest. There are people who are ready to get saved. And Jesus says, believe it or not, there's a lot more than you would think. So don't be so scared. Don't be so ashamed. Don't be so discouraged. Courage that all you know the you know the cultures, the society is just going to hell in a handbasket. That ain't helpful, and that's really unbelief. Because God has promised there is hope, and people are ready to be there are people ready to be saved. And he says, now here's number two is our obligation to the harvest. What are we okay? So there are people ready to be saved. What what are we Christians, normal everyday Christians? What are our obligation to people who are ready to be get, ready to get saved? Well, first of all, we are obligated to have compassion on other people. Jesus said uh, it was the said of Jesus, verse number thirty six. When he saw the multitudes, he saw them as sheep having no shepherd. In other words, you know, a sheep that has no shepherd is going. It will not be long before it will be slaughtered by a predator and eaten. You know, um, there are plenty of people, sadly to say, ready to get saved, but not only ready to get saved, but ready also, should they die, to die without Jesus Christ as their Savior. And you know what Jesus says? The first thing that needs to happen is your heart needs to get moved with some compassion. 
That your bowels need to yearn to say to, to see people the way that Samaritan, that one good Samaritan saw and had pity on a guy who was half dead, that we need to take pity on people. Can we stop seeing people as annoyances and start seeing them as lost souls that just might be ready to get saved? Can we stop seeing people as idiots and jerks on the road that can't drive and start seeing them as people who need to get saved and who might be really close to getting saved? Can we stop seeing people as opponents in politics and start seeing them as people who need to get saved, and who might be ready to get saved. You know, I'm just, um, maybe, I don't know, probably less than a year ago, um, uh, an evangelist uh, was telling me, he said, uh, you know, he had a lot of connections into at Washington, D.C., and he said, I have gone, he said, I have gone into Nancy Pelosi's office. And I'll tell you what, this evangelist did not share political beliefs with Nancy Pelosi, but he said, I went into her office, she welcomed me in, and he said, I gave her a Bible, and I gave her the gospel, and I prayed with her. She didn't get saved, but he said, I gave her the gospel, and I prayed with her. Some of us, all we can do is just put, is just give all kinds of, angry comments and say nasty things about her because we don't agree with her. Folks, you don't have to agree with her. But you know what? Your heart would change towards other people if you'd see people as people in need of a Savior. Not just an opponent in politics, but someone who is in need of a Savior. So we have an obligation to have compassion like Jesus did. We have an obligation to pray. One of the things he says in here is pray therefore the Lord of the harvest, and he will send forth laborers into his harvest field. So obviously, one of the main prayer requests is, you know, pray that that the Holy Spirit, that God will send out uh, more people to labor in the harvest fields, you know, so just missionaries, pray that God will raise up more missionaries to go out. But you know what we often do, and we are so American about it, is that we pray that God will send more people like them so that we don't have to go. And tell the co-worker how to be saved. We want them to go so that we don't have to talk to the neighbor and invite the neighbor to church. So we are desperate for them to go so that we don't have to go. You know, one of the things you could pray, as because we often pray, well, Lord, raise up more missionaries to go out into the harvest fields so that people get saved. Why can't we pray, Lord, here today in this little section of New York, will you thrust me out and lead me towards harvest today? Would you thrust me out and send me out as a person who has the gospel on their lips? You know, we can pray. This prayer doesn't have to be something that we just say, Lord, raise up some more missionaries. But it can be a prayer for our own selves to say, Lord, send me. Somehow show me who in my area needs the gospel. Because we think that, oh, maybe we think that the, the Work of the gospel, that's the job of the pastor, that's the job of the missionaries, that's the job of the evangelist. By the way, if you read Ephesians chapter 4, you'll realize that the pastor and the evangelist in particular names are, are, are given to the church to enable and equip you so that you are the ones doing the work of the ministry. Read it in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 and 12. God has given you a pastor to help you so that you can know how to give the gospel out, how to live a life so that you are a good testimony. That's why 
he's here to help you. So by the way, let him help you. Let him help you give the gospel and pray that God will send you forth into the harvest fields and pray that God will lead you to harvest. Can I just say, give a little suggestion. Don't be afraid to pray and say, Lord, today as I go out, as I give out tracts, as I'm walking around, Lord, would you lead me to harvest? Lord, you know, if you want me to just, you know, uh, sow the seed a little more, water someone who's maybe heard the gospel, fine. But Lord, would you send me towards harvest? Do you know something is that I have found, uh, I've heard from several people that when they in earnest prayed this to the Lord and meant it, they had the most unusual circumstances where God brought, brought along someone ready to get saved. And then they led them to the Lord. Why? Because God answered the prayer of, pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. Here, uh, But our other obligation is not only to, uh, to have compassion and to pray, but also to labor. He says, pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, verse 38, that he'll send forth laborers into the harvest. So, uh, so uh, our other obligation is to labor. Be involved in the work of seeing people saved. You know, it ought to be... It really ought to be a normal thing that you are uh, you making efforts to bring unsaved people into your home for supper. I remember the I remember the time when uh, when we had a, uh, an assistant manager of mine and his wife and their little kid, and they came over to supper, and we were building a relationship because he was seeking the Lord. He's still not saved. I think one day he will be. You know, uh, why can't you? Why can't you have that as a part of your life? Uh, I, I love going. Uh, I go sometimes shopping with this one guy. He's a uh, he's a he's a marine, and he's he was shot over in Afghanistan. And I just love spend, enjoy spending time with him as much as I can because he's always asking questions about Christianity, and I want to be there to answer the questions. You know, why can't we do that? Why can't we put in the labor to invite our neighbors to church, to invite them over to our own houses, to say, what's something I can be praying about? Uh, do you feel comfortable? praying to God about that? Why don't you feel comfortable? Do you have a relationship with God? Do you, if you don't, do you know how to have a relationship with God? Folks, we are obligated to labor. But here's the final thing. This will be brief. Is that we've seen our, the opportunity of the harvest, our obligation to the harvest. Here's number three, our ownership of the harvest. The harvest is ours to reap, but what keeps us from embracing the promise of the hope of the harvest? Several things can. Why do, you know, if, if there really are that many people who are ready to get saved, what keeps us from going out? What keeps us from, 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 from reaching out and praying and all that? Well, one, one reason would be a failure to deal with unconfessed sin. Listen, friend, if you're going to live like the world, you're not going to want to win them to the, to the Lord. If you live like the world, you're not going to want to win the world. That's what I was trying to say. Uh, because really, what we are, we are channels. We are tubes. We are hoses. We are pipes. And all we are is we are just a, a, a source, an access source, so that Jesus can flow through us and pour himself out upon all kinds of unsaved people who need Jesus. But if the hose is blocked, it don't let much water through. And some of you tonight may have unconfessed sin. There may be something, maybe we talk about it Sunday nights. You may have some kind of sin habit that you will not get right with God. Don't expect God to use you to see others come to Christ if you're not right with the Lord yourself. 1 Corinthians 15 says, Awake to righteousness, sin not, for some have not the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. But another uh, reason why we don't uh, own the harvest is because simply an unfaithfulness to witness Put in simple language, some of us just don't open our mouths. I think this is where I land so often. 
is I just fail to open my mouth. I listen to fear, uh, which is not of God, by the way, 2 Timothy 1.7. Fear is not of God. It is not a spirit that comes from God. But some of us, it's just as simple as we don't open our mouths. Therefore, we don't see people get saved. Did you know that if you hand out zero tracts, witness zero times, and uh, invite zero people to church, you have about a zero out of zero percent chance of, uh, of seeing people saved and get, seeing God use you to see people come to the Lord? But, you know, if you'll start sowing a little bit of seed, if you'll start praying and say, God, send me to the harvest, and if you'll start getting a compassion for the lost, you might see God do some great things with you. Another one, though, why, why don't we um, uh, embrace the, the promise of the harvest could just simply be unbelief. Even though God says there's lots of people ready to get saved, we still say, yeah, but that... I don't know if I really can believe what you say in the Bible right there, God. I'll believe the rest. I don't know if I can believe that because what I see says differently. Oh, um, since when were we going with what I see over what the Bible says? Folks, uh, it could be unbelief. Others, uh, another one could be just simply an unawareness of the war that Satan is out uh, trying to destroy lost souls. That he is uh, that, but even though he is out to destroy lost souls, uh, Satan is a defeated foe. He was defeated at the cross and at the open tomb. And that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. So here's one thing I think we ought to do is, you know, God has this wonderful hope, this promise that. There are people ready to get saved. You may not think it, but there are more people than you realize that are ready to get saved. And you can ask God to send yourself to them. So, you know, if we never, ever, 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 like ever meet up with harvest, if we never see people get saved. If Maybe we never even get to have conversations about the gospel, at least when we're just talking about it and sharing our faith with people. You know what needs to happen? We need to get on our face and ask God why. Or we don't even need to ask God why. You may even already know. It might be, you know, it might be because of a failure to deal with unconfessed sin. It might be just because you failed to open your mouth. It might simply be because you don't believe God's promise that there is a harvest. It may be because, uh, because of an unawareness of the war that is going on. But folks, can we not begin to pray, even tonight, and say, Lord, would you send me to harvest? Lord, I'll be okay if you want me to sow, if you want me to water, but Lord, would you send me to harvest? And maybe one of those things, especially the failure to confess sin, uh, the failure to open your mouth, or uh, the failure to believe God's promise, maybe one of those has kept you from giving the gospel. Folks, that can change tonight. Because, folks, a woman at the well is just the common, normal, everyday person that you pass. And God may have some normal, everyday people passing you who were ready to get saved if you had just opened your mouth. If you had just left a track. If you had just not listened to fear and spoken something about the Lord. You never know. So let's do this. Let's, let's close here in prayer. And I want you, as I pray, I want you to be thinking, what, what is it in my life? Is there unconfessed sin? Is there an unfaithfulness to witness, a failure to open my mouth, or is there a failure to believe God's promise? And then when we go into our invitation, I hope you will come clean with God about what if there is a failure, and that you'll ask God to send you. Pray that prayer, uh, that to pray that God will send you forth into his harvest. So let me pray, and then we'll go into the invitation. Lord, thank you so much for um, your great uh, your great love wherewith you have loved us and the mercy, the great mercy of God uh, that can save sinners. And Lord, I pray 
I pray that you would you would help us help us Lord to embrace promise of the harvest. Lord, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would drive out the devil's lies to these believers, uh, the lies that would um, distract from um, distract them from, from being able to go out and give the gospel as they ought. And I just pray this um, for, for the sake of your name and for the sake of lost souls. Um, in Jesus' name, amen. If we could, um, with heads down and eyes closed, let's just all go ahead and stand to our feet if we could. Um, and uh, there's, let me just say this, there's no one right now playing the piano, and that is okay. If you need the piano playing uh, to respond to God, then something's wrong. So would you do this tonight? Um, maybe God has shown you something that needs to change. Maybe God has revealed that you've not had compassion. Maybe God's revealed that, that you have not been involved in the labor of the work. Maybe God's shown you haven't been praying. Maybe God's shown that you just uh, failed to confess sin. Whatever it may be, would you please, right now, we've had the invitations of plenty of nights. You know what's going on. Would you come down to the front and have a seat on this front pew? Would you kneel at this altar? And would you pray and talk with the Lord and make those things right? Because we got, there's way too many people ready to get saved who are not hearing the gospel. Let it not be our fault. So would you please, right now, would you respond to the Lord in prayer, on your knees, uh, sitting on the front pew, would you just respond to the Lord, ask God to change whatever